So Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to return to just really look at what it means to live a new life in Christ. And that is something that we all need to be reminded of um, on a daily basis, um, and so including, including this morning. And so just, just a brief examination of what the previous chapters entailed, if you're not familiar with uh, the book of Colossians. The first chapter is essentially a uh, really an introduction and encouragement to the Colossian church. But um, for also, to, for your reminder as well, is that the basically the best defense for the deity of Christ is found in the book of Colossians. And Paul takes time to uh, carve out time to discuss what that is um, in chapter 1. And so he goes on and speaks of who Christ is, and I'll just point out a, a few items um, in speaking of, of Christ himself. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So this really frames the, 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 the main theme of the book of Colossians. Paul is coming to the Colossian church and writing in, in a way to say that they, they are found in union with Christ, in Christ, which is a common phrase that you'll see. And this is the Christ in whom that they are found, who is above all things. As verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And so the same is true for the, the body of Christ and including you as you sit there this morning, if you in fact have put your faith and trust in Him. You are found in, as it's described, in union with Christ. And so this is the, this is the setting in which Paul goes on and talks about, or establishes and, and talks about in chapter 2. He, he begins to basically... Uh, present um, an argument for the fact that the the Colossian church is coming is being brought to basically confronted with the temptation for heretical teaching, and so there's various verses that Paul addresses that in verse four. He says, "I say that so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments," and then he goes on and, and wants them to know that there's a possibility for them to actually. In verse 8, it says, for them to be taken captive through philosophy or empty deception. But really, his, his main mission as a minister of the gospel is in verse 10, he says that they be made complete, be found complete in Christ, be found mature in Christ for the sake of his glory. But then he also mentions in verse 18 that there's a possibility that they would be, be defrauded by the fact that there are some that may be seeking to um, pursue self-righteousness by self-abasement or worship of angels and visions in, inflated in their, in their minds. So he, he comes in a way, in a, in a very encouraging way, to set the, their affections, um, in some cases, aright again. And to give them what not to, what not to look at, that which is heretical, but that which to look at, that which is, which, is, which is Christ. And so that brings us to chapter 3. 
Chapter 3, Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and we, we looked at those, those verses um, over there, you know, it's been, I guess, sporadically over, this, over several months, but essentially what Paul is saying in, in what I just described is he gives you the superiority of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, and the sufficiency of Christ, in fact, those who are believers are sufficient through what Christ has done on our behalf. So verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 basically point out the only pursuit worth living is pursuing Christ and Christ alone. And then verses 3 and 4 outline a true, our, the only true life is found in Christ. So the only pursuit worth, the only pursuit in life worth pursuing is Christ. And then the true life is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And then you have uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7 today. So with that, I'm going to, I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 3 so we can set our mind and um, understand this properly. Chapter 3, verse 1, Colossians. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory." Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put... Them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one whom created him, of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let me have a word of prayer before we go further. Oh Lord, we thank you for your kindness and thank you for the the reminders in your word of the only hope that we do have, and really that on the foundation, the sufficient and supreme foundation of Christ and Christ alone. May your word be found true today as we examine it and as it is heard and proclaimed, and Lord, may it be taken to heart um, seriously and effectively working as you see fit, O oh Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a time of year in, in which gardeners and people are thinking about pruning trees, pruning apple trees. 
I, I did, I pruned my apple trees a, a few days ago in my blueberry bushes, but really this is a, a time of year to do that. And it's a really a time of year of great anticipation um, because there's purpose behind pruning fruit trees. It's, it's done to, to be, um, to really promote the growth, promote growth that is uh, purposeful and also to hopefully bear, bear fruit that, that can uh, eventually be harvested. It is a, there's a science behind it, but there's also some uh, skill involved and really, a, I guess you could, you could say an art to it, an art to it as well. And so the, the, the reason why I bring that up is, as far as pruning goes is because I don't know if you've ever uh, taken to pruning um, fruit trees, but one of the, the difficulties behind it is you, you think, well, look at all that growth that happened last year. I don't want to cut that off. You know, it's, that's, that, might, that might be productive in the future. But really, the, 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 it's a really fine illustration of what God has called all of us to do in the sense of dealing with the sin in our life. And so we looked at, uh, in verse 5, several weeks ago, as I stated, in verse 5, it says, Therefore, consider the, members of the, of, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. And he goes on and, and lists off several. And, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, but it is a, an examination of, of the sin nature of mankind, which amounts to idolatry. And it, it must be remembered that when it says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, that, it's, that verses 1 through 4 frame this. Remember, the, 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 the only pursuit that you ought to be concerned about in life is pursuing Christ. Verses 1 and 2. And the only true life is found in, in Christ himself. And then he said, verses 3 and 4, and then he says in verse 5, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, you could simply say, dead to sin. So when, it, when Paul says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, he's saying, put to death the sins of your earthly body. And said in another way, you could say to, to mortify the sins of your flesh. So there's an act of obedience through Christ, living for Him, because as verse three, or chapter one, chapter three, verse one states that we have been raised up. If in fact you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. If all these things are true, and He says, therefore, therefore, mortify the sins of your earthly body. Which, are, which ought to be as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So just as one who sets out to prune the apple tree or prune a, a blueberry bush or some other plants that really thrive on pruning itself, the Christian ought to be very serious about pruning the sin or mortifying the sin in their life. And then, as the, the verses we're going to look at this morning, in verses 6 and 7, provide reason for this. So, 
Today, this morning, we're going to look at two motivations for new life in Christ. Two motivations for new life in Christ. The first motivation is that God demands that idolatry be taken seriously. Verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And then the second motivation, that idolatry is a vain pursuit. Verse 7, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So the first motivation God demands that idolatry be taken seriously. So God is not calling us, or Paul, the the Apostle Paul, is is not calling the the Colossian church, calling the the church of Christ, to work out their salvation based on their own merit. He's not telling them to do good works for the purposes of trying to establish some basis of righteousness that they could stand rightly before God eternally. Paul is not saying that that one one ought to wake up in the morning and think of any way to to think of that I am a good person and I need to um, go volunteer time at the Salvation Army or I'm a good person because I have never killed someone or I am a good person so, so therefore, I need to, you know, because of the fact that I've never said, said a curse word to my, to my mother before. Paul is not saying that, that through the, the Spirit of God, trying to establish an argument for the, that, the believer that is in Christ to mortify or kill their sin by their own effort. But it's the effort based in that which is in Christ and Christ alone. So God, let's look at the the first motivation. God demands that idolatry be taken seriously. And for some of you, I should say that when when you read that that list, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed... And then Paul says, which amounts to idolatry. For some, that be, it may be a, a new thought. This um, act of the sin nature in just the sin, the, the sin nature in the human heart, that at the very root is idolatry. It is, you could say, self-worship. It's worshiping yourself. Just read that list again and think about that in that light. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. So why would someone desire or be on a mission to be immoral or live in a promiscuous way? What about impurity? or passion, or any kind of evil desire. And this is a common one that, I mean, some of, some of these can't necessarily be seen with the human eye, but, but greed can. What about greed? 
These things amount to idolatry, self-worship, worship of self, the only desires in the heart and mind of a sinful man is to seek and pursue that which brings that, that person pleasure. But that is not to, to be so for the, the Christian, the believer who has set their affections on Christ and who are found in Christ, who, are, who is raised up with Him, pursuing Christ and seeking the true life which is in Him, ought to be in verse 6. Paul gives reason, for it is because of these things. So the motivation behind killing sin or mortifying sin or pursuing the act of putting off the old man and putting on the new man ought to be the fact of this, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So this is the motivation. But before I get ahead, too far ahead of myself, I just want to just look at one aspect of this first motivation. And that aspect I want to look at and present to you is that idolatry is sin. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, we're going to find an example of this, which for most of you is familiar. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the God, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to those, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. So idolatry is sin. And for those of you who are probably familiar with this passage, here we see portions of the um, great specifics and then later detailed in in the New Testament of the, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are outlined in, at least in portion here, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you remember how God brought them out of the land of Egypt, God confronted the idolatrous ways of the Egyptians through various plagues. And he did it with, with precision and strategy for the purpose to dismantle the fact that there, there, is, no, there is no other God. So he sought with a purpose to strategically target these gods in which many women and men worshipped. They worshipped false gods. So therefore, God showed them 
who the one true God is. So a few points here in Exodus that will help establish this point of that idolatry is sin and that idolatry is worship of any other God. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And he also instructs them, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Some of you may be familiar with the the idolatry of the past, even the present. And it really is a um, just a, a vain and really, in, in many ways, a silly pursuit. And you think the fact that here, here they, they take items in which the God has made. A tree, for example. Cutting a tree down and whittling it into some, in some form or fashion of a God. And then bowing down to it. It's this foolish pursuit. You sh- and then... Verses, verse 5, he says that, God says that you shall not worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. He is, God is a jealous God. He's not jealous in a sinful way. He is jealous because, in fact, he is the one that is worthy of worship. Him and him alone. No other God. So, idolatry is sin, said in a more detailed way. Idolatry is worship of any other god, taking that which is made by God himself and making or fashioning it into something that fancies the person into what makes them, in a way, feel better. But idolatry is sin because there is only one God. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 8 say, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let Him proclaim and declare it. Yes, Let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Again, Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. And further, Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things long past. I, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me.
you can find many other passages in Scripture, and, and I, I don't think I need to, to go any further to, to establish the fact that there is only one God, as God gives witness about himself in stating the fact that I am the Lord and there is no other. So idolatry is sin because men, have, men and women have sought to seek after pleasure and worship of themselves and deny the one true God. Let's go a little bit further. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, we must see that, that the love of God, which ought to uh, pro- propel us to live this life, to live this life of mortification of sin, as instructed there in verse 5, as just as a reminder, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. What must, you know, if 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 idolatry is sin, and it is worshiping any other god besides the one true God, what must we be found doing? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These things which I am commanding you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We must love God with our whole being. So loving God with our whole being, with all of your affections, with all of your desires, with all of your pleasures, with all of your thoughts, with all of your speech. This ought to characterize your life in Christ as you pursue a life of putting to death the members of your earthly body. This immorality, this impurity, those which amount to idolatry. But see, the problem here is found in this. Some of you know of the Great Exchange, or what is known as the Great Exchange. The exchange that happened through the work of Christ, that that those who put their faith in Him, that they are found found in Him with His righteousness. But I would offer this to you. The problem behind this loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is this what I what I describe as the vain exchange, where this exchange of truth about God to worship other gods. The vain exchange is outlined in Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And here it is. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. And there in verses 24 and 25, you see that God gave them up to the lusts of the flesh. And this is, what, as I stated, is what I call the, the vain exchange. Here you have the pursuit of man in pursuing and worshiping himself with uh, just a plethora of idolatry. And they exchanged the, tr- the, the truth about God to worship that which is what they thought was, was God. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. A glory that is without error. A glory that of God, the God, which is without wrinkle. The incorruptible God. They, they sought to pursue and worship images in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Some of these pursuits may, you know, really cause one to just shake their head. With me being a consulting forester, one that, that just, you know, that always sticks in my mind, I have seen videos of men and women sitting in forests and crying over a tree that has died, wailing like a baby because this tree has died, and worshiping this, this tree as if it was a god. In fact, in their mind, it is. It is a specific example of men and women worshiping the creation over the Creator. It is, in this example, idolatry. They have sought to put this creation this image of the form of corruptible man, their birds or four-footed animals, this creation of God, to worship it instead of the one true God. So, let's go back to and, and remind ourselves where we're at here. In verses, verse 6, chapter 3 in Colossians. Paul gives reason here. This is the reef, for it is because of these things. So, is because of these things. What are these things? What, what is he saying? What are these things in reference to? Well, it's in reference to that which it amounts to idolatry. So, here we have an argument that 
the only pursuit that one ought to be pursuing in life is Christ. And uh, the one true life is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And he says, therefore, put to death these, these passions in your life, not on your own merit, not on your own strength, not, not in a way that, you, that, is, that is in some way you think is going to establish you rightly before God, but no, trust in what Christ has done on your behalf. Not, not exchanging the, the glory of the incorruptible God and you seeking to, to worship yourself as you pursue these quote-unquote gods, but no, that is not the life of the Christian. That is not the life of those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ are take this idolatry seriously and approach it in a way that is with reverence and humility. Because what happens? You have the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So here is a further aspect here. So first we looked at the, the idolatry underneath the, the motivation, the first motivation, that idolatry must be taken seriously, that idolatry is sin, but also that God, as you see here, must judge sin. Again, I'll read it. Because of these, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of, of, of disobedience. So, remember in Romans, the truth about God has been revealed. So if it has been revealed, just ask yourself, is there any person on the face of this earth that is without excuse? No one is without excuse. No one is without excuse in, in that God has already revealed himself. As we read, there is one true God. There is only one. Those passages in Isaiah 44, 45, and 46. He is a jealous God. But God, going, going a little bit further, God must judge sin. Why? Psalm, 7, Psalm 71 verse 22 says, I will also praise you with a harp, even your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with lyre, O holy one of Israel. So God must judge sin because he is holy. He is set apart. So the idea of holiness is to cut, but the idea here is that God is separate in, in every way from us. He is holy. Holy in every way. His loving kindness. His mercy. His compassion. His faithfulness. In every way, God is holy. So therefore, God must judge sin. So the truth about God's commands his the truth about God commands his standard. So what I mean what I mean by this is that 
Because God is holy and He's set apart, He has a standard by which all men must follow. Leviticus 19 verse 2 says, To all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy for... I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then again in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says, Be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the, 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 the fact that, that God is holy that the truth of God and God Himself demands that sin be judged. And in that, we are called to be holy, to be unified with Christ. Yet in this, to go back here to, to, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. This wrath of God is not something that is is done in in a sinful manner, but is done with precision for the purposes of to uphold His standard and to uphold His character of holiness and righteousness. Well, one thing I want to point out to you, and you may be, may be asking, well, what does it mean that it will come upon the sons of disobedience? Because clearly God has already judged the sin of man. God has promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, of the fact that the one will, will come to crush the, the, the head of the serpent. But then he says, will come upon the sons of disobedience. So I want to direct your mind to one passage in Colossians that will help understand this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. This aspect of the superiority of Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So yes, there is an aspect of the fact that God judges sin and judges it rightly even now, but there is the future aspect where there will be the ultimate judgment by God upon, as it's stated here, upon the Son's of disobedience, those that have sought to live an idolatrous life. And so I pointed out to you, verse 18 of chapter 1, is because God Himself, Christ, will come to have first place in everything. So there will be an ultimate place in which God and Christ will have superiority, will have supreme reign over this. And so it's in reference to 
the 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 eternal life that is that is within um, Christ's kingdom, and in Christ being that which is over over that. So this wrath will come upon this, the sons of disobedience. It's not something that, that may be. It's not something that will be partial. It's not something um, is uncertain. It will come. And so, just as I stated, a, a motivation that we ought to have to live uh, faithfully um, in pursuing this true life in Christ, this new life, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, this ought to motivate us. This ought to motivate us because you see the temptations that, that Paul warned about, as I stated earlier, that there's, there's many temptations out there that will seek to delude your understanding of who Christ is, that your thoughts will be taken captive, that you will be tempted to um, worship um, yourself and create some sort of self-righteousness to convince yourself that you are righteous based on X, X, Y, and Z of the things that you have done, or in fact, all of these things that, 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 that Paul lists that culminates in verse 23, it's, this is essentially what it is. It's self-made religion. It's self-made religion because the, these individuals that are seeking to, seeking to deceive the, the Colossians, and it's happening to even today, it's all self-made religion. It's a religion that is made up from man and not that which is God. So the motivation, the, the root of our motivation ought to be found in, in Christ in Christ alone. That you mortify the sins of your earthly body. And for that reason or one reason is that the wrath of God will come, and it will come upon the sons of disobedience. Let's look at the, the second motivation. The idolatry is a vain pursuit. So the first motivation that, that, that God has, has given us through the Apostle Paul is that, is that we have a, a grand um, position in Christ in Christ alone, and we ought to live on His by motivated by by Him and Him alone, because we ought to take sin, very idolatry, very seriously, because the consequences of that will be the wrath of God. But secondly, is that idolatry is a vain pursuit. Verse seven, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Idolatry is a vain pursuit. So, the Colossians saw this vain pursuit. The church of Colossae is reported back to Paul the fact that they are found in faith and to have faith in Christ. And he is stating here in the past tense, in a way, and I'll describe uh, further explain what he's what he's saying here. But just, just look at the, the terms in which they're used, in which they're stated. You also once walked, you were living in them. So this is a, a past action. But what is, how does this apply to 
um, this idolatrous life that they saw, a motivation that we ought to have. Idolatry is a vain pursuit. And they, in fact, saw that, and it propelled them to put their, their faith in Christ. But what does this mean here in this verse when it states, you also once walked? The idea of walking is to, to make one's way. So it's stated in, in, in specifically here to refer to the, the whole manner of their life. So the whole manner of life in the, in the past that they once walked was in, was in idolatry. And some of these things can, are, are illustrated, this is specifically illustrated in chapter 2, verse 13 where Paul says when you were dead in your transgre- trans- when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh this is the state of idolatry that they were found in they were dead in their sin and no hope so they were dead in their sin but they were made alive in Christ but then he goes on to state, so you have, you have uh, Paul stating the, the, the whole life, the whole manner of their life was framed with, with idolatry, and they, they were found to, to be dead in their sin. And then he says, he goes further, he says, when, when you were living in them. So this statement is supposed to, it stresses the progress of their life. So said in another way previously, the when Paul states that you also once walked, you could say that's the way of life. Their way of life was vain. But here, in this last part of verse 7, the progress of their life was vain. So their whole whole pursuit in life was found to be in vain. Verse Chapter 1, verse 21, illustrates this. It says... And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Let's examine that just a little bit, although I have touched on it previously, but just to remind you. When he says alienated, the idea is to be estranged, to be separated from God. And then it says here, hostile in mind, having minds that are filled with hatred. Really, you could say that those who are, are living a life of idolatry, as Paul lists in verse 5, are living with great love for themselves, but great hatred for God. So this is what Paul means here, what God intends to illustrate in the, in the progress of their life. So you could say it's in the, the parts of their life. So not only the, the whole of their life, their, their manner of life was, was in vain, walking in um, their whole of their life, as stated there, they were dead in their transgressions, as a dead man walking, but the, the parts of their life were even um, affected as well. So the parts of their life estranged, hostile in mind, and then it says engaged in evil deeds as well. Chapter going back to chapter one, verse twenty-one, engaged in evil deeds. 
And that idea of evil is brought up in, in chapter 3, verse, verse 5 again. So every part of their life was empty. It was vain. There was nothing to, um, nothing left. They were, they were brought to the end of themselves. And, and an interesting fact about this as I studied this is there, there's a whole lot of, you know, I found, because there's, I don't know if you, if you, there's, there's several epistles or letters written to the church where it provides extensive explanations about the, the past, the, the former life. But there's very little, there's very little of examples in here. Those are, those are the, the only specific two that you can find. And it's interesting to note, and should, should be, I should remind you of the fact that, and, and, that's, and that's with purpose. Because, again, remember, God had purpose to um, Paul to, to write this letter to first remind the Colossians about that which the, the only hope is found in Christ. So he, he and he, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, movies with mountain climbers, and they, they climb up to these high heights, and they just look over this vast land. And it's just a grand, just a grand majestic view of the creation of God. And this, this is what Paul does in this letter. He sets them on the high hill to view this uh, sufficiency and superiority of Christ. Although he does talk about that this is the past life that you have been brought out of, but he wanted to highlight you have, you have put your faith in a sense, as you, as you walk through there, as, as you remember what we talked about, you have put your faith in Christ. Do not tarnish what you, what you have believed and pursue that which is the only true life, which is found in Christ, which is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so, as he comes here in verse 5, just as verse, verses 6 and 7, I'm sorry, 6 and 7, he provides these motivations for life, these motivations for this new life in Christ, this new life that God demands that idolatry be taken seriously and that idolatry is a vain pursuit. But I want to take, to take a moment and talk to those, someone maybe, maybe listening later, talk to someone of those who has not, in fact, been found with a new life in Christ. This person that may be looking here in chapter 3, verse 5, and, and saying, that's me. I am practicing immorality. I have impure thoughts in my life on a daily basis. I have passions in my life that seek to serve myself and not serve God. My desires are evil and they're corrupt. I have greed. I, my uh, a main mission in my life is to get as much money as I can without any concern for, could be my wife, my spouse, my kids, those around me. That is my mission in life. There is hope for you. There is hope for you because God is full of grace and mercy. 
And so in a way, I hope that I have reminded or at least brought to your attention the importance of knowing who Christ is because he is your only hope. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, 12 and 13 and 14. Speaking of the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption in the forgiveness of sins. This is for you. This is for you even if you have found yourself wandering around in this world seeking to seek your own pleasures and not being concerned of those others around you, around you, but most importantly, not even being concerned with that which God has called you to be concerned about. So today, my hope is, is that your idolatrous ways have been exposed and that your idolatrous ways may be dealt with through Christ and Christ alone. Because this is the very action that has happened to everyone who has put their faith in Christ. Just think, how many times do you walk around in life feeling lonely and depressed, living out your life in a way in darkness? It's like you were a a spelunker climbing down in the cave and your flashlight went out and you have no way to have any batteries or anything and you are in pitch darkness. You You may feel like that throughout your life, even today. But even for you, even for you, there is hope because God says through Christ, who is above all things, and he will transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And not only that, he will redeem you. He will bring you out of that slave market of sin and transfer you into this kingdom of his beloved son where there is forgiveness of sin. There is hope for you. There is forgiveness of sin. And that ought to be an encouragement for all of us today, that there is hope for all of us, even even those who have found to to have a pattern of sin that that needs to be dealt with in a way of asking for forgiveness, maybe from, from a spouse or from a friend, and ultimately from God. There is forgiveness through Christ and Christ alone, an adoption in Christ that is only through Jesus. This redemption, this forgiveness of sin, will deal with specifically this idolatry in your heart. Praise the Lord. May we be motivated as followers of Christ to seek first the, the kingdom of, of God and His, His righteousness, loving, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And may these, these verses be a motivation to you God demands that your idolatry be taken very seriously in that um, idolatrous ways or idolatry is a vain pursuit. The only and one pursuit that every one of us ought to have is pursuing Christ and Christ alone. We'll leave you 
with these first four verses of chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died with, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Amen. We pray. Lord, thank you for this day and your kindness extended to us. Oh Lord, may we uh, this day work not on not based on our own merit, but based on the merit of that which uh, Christ has established. His perfect righteousness is transferring into a kingdom that only you could do and providing a redemption only you could have done, providing forgiveness of sin, O Lord. May we be motivated to deal with the idolatrous um, passions in our heart, O Lord, because... These idolatrous ways are vain. They are empty. The things of this world are passing away. And this life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. May this be a day we can examine our life and be motivated to live in a way that honors you. Dealing with the sinner life be killing sin or sin will be killing us, O Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word that it can bring to light even the the depths of the wicked hearts and minds that it has come and it can can penetrate even the, the hardest heart that one could realize that they are in fact alienated from you and they could come to you in repentance and faith in Christ, and be set not uh, with a purpose to live for the passions of this world, worshiping worshiping themselves, but they may be slaves of Christ and be found in Christ, living for the purposes of your kingdom. May that be us, O Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.